first, for those I haven't met, I'm Jason. I'm the pastor of New Hope Church. And happy Thanksgiving. This will be the last week I say it. If I say it next week, then <laughs> there's a problem. But <laughs> happy Thanksgiving to you all. I hope you guys got some good rests, got to uh, enjoy your time with family or friends or whatever you did or that you were working, that you got to take a nap. Um, but it's so good for us to be here together again. I know a number of people are sick, not feeling well. Just this morning, Liam, our second child, had a fever. So if you haven't gotten sick, you are blessed and highly favored. I don't know what you're doing, but it's, it's uh, everyone's been, a lot of people have been getting sick. So we need to pray for members of our community, especially the little ones, that uh, God would bring healing and that we could recover. I didn't have to travel far this year for Thanksgiving. We went to Queens. We spent time with my wife's side of the family. Um, but I love road trips. I think I might have said that to you before. The longest road trip I've ever taken um, that Jothi and I took together was from Houston to New York City. It's about 1,700 miles. Uh, we rented a U-Haul. We had all of our stuff from our apartment before loaded into this, uh, this enormous van. I don't know. I forgot how long, how, how large the van was. We had our Toyota Camry hitched uh, behind us and it was strapped down and every three hours we had to stop to make sure that the tires were I mean the straps were still tight and um, that was a challenge learning to to drive a, a truck for the first time and we had our our 75 80 pound lab in between both of our seats and he was just laying down the whole time he was great and it was an adventure I gotta tell you it was an adventure we uh, uh, he our dog ended up getting a hold of our gum and I found out it was toxic for, for dogs. And then we had to find a local pharmacy somewhere in o Ohio, I think, <laughs> and get hydrogen peroxide and induce vomiting. Um, and so, yeah, it was an adventure. Uh, I'll probably never do that again. But I love road trips. I got to see parts of, like, I, I, I grew up in, well, I spent some time in Philly. I spent some time in high school there. And uh, when we came to the country from India, we lived in Philly in the beginning. And uh, um, I saw parts of Pennsylvania I'd never seen before. Like, it's so different than the rest of, of, of well, different than Philadelphia. It was beautiful. Jyoti and I had great conversations along the way. There were so many wonderful things. And so I, would, I wouldn't do that particular trip all over again because it was crazy, but I do love road trips. And, and I even think fondly of that trip because it's not always just about where you're going, right? It's about what you discover along the way. And that's kind of what this series is about. We're in a series called Temptations in the Wilderness, where every week we've, we explore one of the temptations that Israel faced while they were in the wilderness, while they were waiting for the unfolding of God's promise. And what we want to do every time we look at one of their temptations is to see whether we experience some of the same temptations as well whenever we find ourselves in seasons of waiting. Maybe you've, you're experiencing some of that right now. We know what it's like. Seasons of uncertainty in our lives. Maybe when you're waiting for deliverance, waiting for rescue or an answer to prayer. You're not sure how God's going to answer it. Or even if you don't have a particular even if you're not so set on a desired outcome, maybe what you're waiting for is just to see God's goodness. Like, see what God is doing, how he's writing the story. You just want to see his faithfulness in the midst of it, regardless of the outcome. Well, in this situation, we normally have the destination in mind, right? We just want to see how it's going to turn out. We just want to get the deliverance. We just want the rescue. We just want the answer. But just like road trips, 
Sometimes it's not just about the destination. What's equally important is what's revealed or discovered along the way. So what does your particular and my journey, what, is our, what do our seasons of uncertainty and waiting reveal? What can we discover along the way? Today we'll see two things. It's not the only two things, but we'll focus on two things that are revealed in the journey along the way. Our desire for control and God's incredible patience. Let's look at the first one. The wilderness reveals our desire for control. So the context of this passage is that God has delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt, and he did it with all kinds of wonders. Like, he could have just done it, snapped his finger, and did it in the most easy, seamless way possible, but he, there was wonder after wonder after wonder performed so that Israel and that the nations would know that he is God. He parted the waters, as many of you are familiar with the story know. He parted the waters so they could cross uh, on dry land, and he, he consumed their enemies, and he led them by cloud and fire. And at this point, after they had crossed the Red Sea, at this point, Moses decides to go up the mountain to receive instruction from the Lord. And the text tells us that he spent about 40 days there. But the people don't know that. They don't know how long he's going to take. And so that's where we pick up our story. Let's read Exodus 32. Let's read 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has come, become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So they were waiting for Moses. And it took about 40 days, but they didn't know how long it was going to take. And so they grew impatient. They said, we don't know what's happened to this guy, right? Like he said he's going to go up this mountain. And the first day passes. He's not back. Second day, a week passes. Two weeks, three weeks, he's still not back, right? Or I'm not, at that particular point, I'm not sure where, where he, uh, how long it had been. But they're waiting for him. They're not sure, you know, when he's going to return. And I wish I could say that I would handle this differently. But I don't know if I would. Like I think about what it's like when I order food on Grubhub. And there are usually times where it's like, okay, your food is 30 minutes away, and I'm tracking. I'm, I'm, I'm following, you know, that, that, that particular uh, delivery person and seeing where they are, right, how close they are. And then there are times where I order from certain restaurants, and it's like, we have no way to track this person. So I'm like, when are they going to show up? Or I think about what it's like when I invite a friend over, and they're late, or, you know, they don't have reception, they're in the subway, and how long does it generally take before you text them and say, hey, ETA, like, where are you? Can you imagine not having that kind of technology? Moses goes up a mountain, and you're not sure when he's going to come back. 
that's essentially what they say. Like, we don't know what's happened to this guy. So Aaron, make an idol for us that represents Yahweh. Right? And that's why they say, these are the gods that brought you up out of, the, out of, out of slavery from Egypt. Right? Like, make us a god that's going to represent Yahweh. They can't control where they're going. They can't control when they're going to leave. They've got to wait on God. They've got to wait on Moses. So their solution is to craft something that would give them control. It says, create a God that would go before us. But when you do that, you could say he's going to go before you, but really, you dictate the time, right? right? And you dictate the place. Like, make this idol, right, that's tangible, like tangible leadership, because we don't want to wait on an invisible God in his direction. We don't want to wait upon him. So make it something that's tangible that we can sense, we can control. And yes, it could go before us, but it'll ultimately go whenever we decide it needs to go. And it'll ultimately lead us wherever we say it needs to lead us. Go before us, but really, this is so that they could dictate the path and the pace. They do not want to wait. And out of that kind of impatience, they create idols that will give them a sense of control. And it's the wilderness. It's the waiting that reveals this craving for control. Now, you may wonder why God makes you wait when he can do anything he wants. Why does he make you wait? Why does he lead you in this journey? And because I don't know your story in particular, and I don't know why he would specifically make you wait. There might be multiple reasons, but I can tell you what I do know, that the waiting will likely reveal at some point your desire for control too. Could it be that God uses the waiting to reveal our desire for control? Now, we need to have some control. That's by God's design, right? Like, it's important. Like, self-control, for example, is a fruit of the Spirit. For you to be able to control yourself, right? Like, there has to be something that you feel like you can control. Boundaries, right? We need boundaries. We need space, right? We have to be able to identify those things. What are the things within my control? That's healthy. But we are often consumed with wanting to control things that are outside of our control. Feeling like some kind of having, having some kind of control is important, but the problem is when we haven't accepted what's clearly out of our control. Like Uber Eats drivers. Or, all right, I'm, I'm kidding, but really, if you think about the times you're waiting, seasons of waiting and uncertainty, you're waiting upon a person. You're waiting for them to change. Uh, you're waiting for them to respond to you. You're waiting for them to apologize. You're waiting for them to change their mind about something, right? You're waiting for them, and you cannot control that, though you want to. Or maybe it's a circumstance. You're waiting for a particular circumstance to unfold, right? You want an opportunity. You want uh, want a door to open or a door to close for somebody else. I don't know what it is. Or maybe you want healing in your life or whatever answer to prayer or rescue or deliverance that it may be. There's some kind of circumstance that's out of our control. So we're either waiting on a person or we're waiting on a circumstance. And what becomes incredibly frustrating for us is that there is somebody that can control those things, that holds the human heart in his hand and sways it whichever way he wants, that has the power and the authority to change circumstances according to his will. And what's frustrating is that they're in God's control, but he's not doing what we want him to do. It's not at our pace. And it's not the path that we want. So what do you do when you realize you cannot control God? 
Every day you wake up, you eat the manna that he's provided, you, 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 you rely on that daily bread, but you're waiting on him. You're like, when's he going to do it? Like, when are we going to get going, right? When are we going to get there? When am I going to reach the destination? What's the end of this journey look like? What do you do when you can't control God? When he doesn't do the things in your time the way you want, what you want, when you want it, where you want it, or for the people that you want. What do you turn to in those situations to give you a sense of control? Now, our idols can provide false or fleeting pleasure for us. It can give us instant gratification. So, at the end of this journey, if you're in a season of uncertainty or a season of waiting, at the end of this journey, you know there's going to be some kind of gratification. That's why you're longing for it. Like, if I could just get there, I'll be satisfied, right? If I could get there, I'll experience pleasure. I'll get some kind of joy. It's out there, but you've got to wait for it. But what our idols tend to do is give us instant gratification so that we can have immediate satisfaction and immediate pleasure. If I can't control when I'll get there and so I could feel that joy, I, I can feel what I want to feel now. You do that through sex, pornography, drugs, alcohol, food, shopping, Black Friday, anybody? <laughs> like, I want joy. I want satisfaction. It's out there. But if I can't get that because that's in God's hands, then I'm going to focus on what's in my control, and I'm going to give myself a hit at that dopamine now, that sense of pleasure, because that at least feels like it's within my control. It's a God I've created to give me a sense of control. Our idols can give us the empty pleasure that something's in control when we don't have to wait upon anybody else. We don't know what's become of him, so let's make, up, make gods for ourselves. Christopher Wright is an author and missiologist who wrote a book called Here Are Your Gods. And he's got this quote, and I want to share uh, something he says about idolatry in a, in a minute. But he writes, Idolatry dethrones God and enthrones creation. I'm just going to pause right there. So if you think about it, if there's something that you want, whether it's a relationship, a job opportunity, whether it's approval, some kind of security, if it's stuff and possessions, there's some created thing you're waiting for, right? And in the process, because of your love for that, you end up dethroning God because you've enthroned creation. Like That's your treasure. And in the process, God is not as valuable to you. So idolatry dethrones God and enthrones creation. Idolatry is an attempt to limit, reduce, and control God by refusing his authority, constraining or manipulating his power to act, and having him available to serve our interests. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Reduce, control, by and control him by refusing his authority, constrain him, manipulate his power, and have him available to serve our interests. So you're waiting for something, maybe some created good. Here's the first question. Have you dethroned God in the process of waiting? Because you've enthroned whatever it is that you're waiting for. Have you dethroned God and enthroned what you're waiting for? He talks about four things that, are, that lead us to manufacture gods. And I'm going to use it for our purposes. But, uh, for example, there are things that entice us and we make gods out of what entices us. We make gods out of what we fear. We make gods out of what we trust. And we make gods out of what we need. But as it relates to control, I would like to think of it a little differently. Okay, I think those are helpful. 
But I'd like us to name our gods. I want you to think about what, to name your god, your idols, right? What entices you when you're longing for control? I'm just going to wait. Just don't rush. Think about it. What entices you when you long for control? What do you fear when you long for control? What do you trust when you long for control? And what do you need when you long for control? See, the wilderness tends to reveal those things. And you wouldn't know that it's there unless you were in a season of waiting. And it could be that God has led us in, in a season of waiting and uncertainty so that it would be the Lord who draws us, so that it would, be, it would be the Lord that we fear, the Lord that we trust, and the Lord that we see ourselves needing above all. But how does that happen? How do we get there? Well, we need an eye for something else in the wilderness too. So it's not just developing an eye for your sense and desire of control. We need an eye for God, who he is, and specifically his incredible patience towards us. So not only does the wilderness reveal our desire for control, but it also reveals God's incredible patience. Let's read 7 through 14. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may, may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So God tells Moses that, hey, look what they're doing. They've already turned astray. <laughs> they're, are, they're making a golden calf and, and treating it as if it represents me and saying, this is what has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And at, when you read about that stuff about consuming them, leave me alone so my anger may burn against them, you may say, wait, wasn't the point uh, that this is God's incredible patience? Like, it seems like God is really angry here, and Moses is the one that's patient, and he is calming God down and causing God to change his mind. 
Well, so there, there are a number of ways to look at this. And one thing that you see throughout the Old Testament, especially as it relates to God's prophets and people that God chooses, right, that he calls, there are situations like this where this becomes an opportunity for God to reveal something about himself to that person. It's like inviting that person, that prophet, that intercessor into his heart and what he's like. Classic example. Uh, there's a well-known story about Jonah, right, who was swallowed by, by a great fish. God tells Jonah to go out to Nineveh and declare judgment on them. And if it's a nation that you don't like, you'd be like, great, tell me the time and the place, right? He didn't say go and tell them to repent. He didn't say go and tell them that I'll be merciful to them if they turn around. No, the message was go and tell them that I've judged them. But because Jonah knows about God's heart and what God is like, he runs away from the call. Because he knows that if they actually turn, God will relent. And this becomes an opportunity. If you read the book of Jonah, it's all about God inviting Jonah into his heart. Another story is when uh, God calls out to, uh, against the city and tells Abraham that he's going to go and judge and destroy that city. And Abraham is like, ah, oh, if there are 50 people there that are righteous, will you save them? And God says, all right, if there are 50 there, I'll save them. He's like, okay, what if there's 40? And then 30? And then 20? And then 10? And each time God says, yes, if there are 10 people there that are righteous, I will save them. God knows how many people are there. God knows what he's going to do. But this becomes an opportunity for them to see his patience and what he's like. Similarly, Moses is told, I'll start all over with you. Right? I'll make a great nation out of you. And this becomes an opportunity for Moses to grow up and not be selfish, not be about himself, but to remind God of his promise and see what God's heart is like. Moses' intercession reveals for him and the people of God, who would later reflect on this, the incredible patience of God. Now, there are two things that I mean when I talk about God's patience. When I say the patience of God, as it relates to our waiting. The first is, God is patient in that he's not in a rush, okay? Like, he's not hurried, ever. Why would he be? Like, you know, whenever, whenever you are going through something and you're, uh, let's say, uh, I don't know, can't think of an example now. <laughs> Maybe I should have uh, uh, wrote one down. If you're, if you're thinking about waiting on a person and something's really urgent for you, and they seem to take, be taking their time, and they don't mirror your urgency, the tendency is to think that they don't seem to care, right? Like they don't seem to understand what's at stake and why it's so important. And you, they're not moving with the same kind of haste that you want them to move with because they're not mirroring your urgency. And the challenge is whenever you feel a sense of urgency, you're in the wilderness and you're waiting and God doesn't seem to be mirroring your urgency, the tendency is to think he must not understand or he must not care. But he's never in a rush. Why would you be in a rush if you hold all of time in your hand and you declare the end from the beginning? Like, Why wouldn't you take your time if a day is like a thousand and a thousand is like a day to you? God is never in a rush. In that sense, he's very patient. In another sense, he's also patient in that he's patient with us. He sees us as a people. But he refuses to forget his promise. He remembers his promise. Despite our idolatry, despite our unfaithfulness, he is never late. He is always good. He is always wise. He is on time. And if you're willing to receive it, it's also the wilderness that reveals this about him too. 
How would you know that he's patient with you? How would you know that he's not hurried or he's not in a rush or that he doesn't have to mirror your agency, urgency in order for him to be good? How would you know any of those things unless you went through a wilderness or a season of waiting? You see, we're in a rush, and the wilderness reveals that God is not. Could it be that he wants to instruct us, to teach us his heart? to invite us into his heart, to be like him, to lose our our need for control and to reveal our idols so that we would hope in his promise instead. I was recently speaking to some college students who who need to make some decisions about their future, not from our church, but some college students who aren't sure they're seniors, they're going to graduate and they're not sure what to do. And they just want to be free of this time of uncertainty, and it's really affecting their faith. And I, and I told them, like, you know, you could, you could treat seasons of uncertainty as if they impede faith, like it's a hindrance to faith. Or you could begin to befriend uncertainty and realize that it's necessary for faith. Okay? Let me say that again. Uncertainty doesn't impede faith. Faith is born on the grounds of uncertainty. Faith is born on the grounds, in in, in seasons of waiting. When there's an uncertainty and you're not sure what's going to happen, but it's that time for you to grow up and to believe that God is good and God is faithful and you're not going to lack anything. Faith is born in the grounds of uncertainty. It doesn't impede, uncertainty doesn't impede faith. It actually is where faith begins to surface And in those seasons of waiting and uncertainty, we must hold on to what we do know, what you are certain about, what you can't trust, which is his heart and his character. It's interesting. The Gospel of John, the passage is here. Let's read it. John 19, 14 through 18 tells of a similar time when Israel gathered together and Someone had said, here is your God, or here is your king. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. And they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him, Jesus, over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between. This was also another time when Israel was under thumb of Roman oppression. They were waiting for their deliverance. And unlike the first time, they were actually presented with their king, but they rejected their king. And when we're wondering what his heart is like, and if we feel like we're still not sure if we can trust, here is a picture of Jesus with absolute control of the universe. He is a legion, an army of angels at his disposal, can do anything that he wants. But in that moment, what he does with his control is that he leverages it for our good, for our redemption, for our restoration, for our deliverance. So if you're not sure what God is going to do, or you're like, I'm not sure what's happened to him. I'm not sure where he's, what he's going to do with this control that he alone has. Here is a picture of our king and what he is like. 
Yes, this reveals the darkness that's in them, in us, the darkest hour. But it also reveals the kind of king that he is. Patient, faithful, loving us to death and back. In the waiting, when we long for control. Right now, we can look to his cross and empty grave and say, here is our king. He is our God. He's the one that draws us with his love. The one we fear alone. The one we trust. And the only one we need when we long for control. Let's pray. Dylan's going to lead us in a chorus. But this is the opportunity for us to think about the gods that we have made. I want you to think about what came up for you in those questions. What entices you when you feel like you lack control and you long for it? What do you fear when you long for control? What do you tend to trust when you long for control? And what can't you live without? What do you need when you long for control? As God brings that to mind, this is an opportunity for us to confess and repent the idols that we craft and we're going to participate in communion together. And as Paul and Angelina come and pass around the bread and the cup, it's an opportunity for us to remember our God and our King who would lead us through death and back.